Hello guys, you are listening to Walking Russian. My name is Nikolai Sirov. I'm Ukrainian Catholic living in Moscow, Russia, and this is a podcast about the Catholic Church in Russia. I normally record it in the mornings on my way to the office. Thanks for joining me today, and I hope you'll enjoy this one. Good morning. It's very early in the morning and I'm walking to a coffee shop for my usual morning coffee treat. Uh, today I want to talk to you about very tense and painful issue. On January 15th, uh, just like one week ago, Russia Insider which is a news website leaning towards pro-Russia and mainly alt-right agenda uh, published an editorial by Charles Bousman uh, titled uh, It's time to drop the Jew taboo and in it uh, Bousman addressed the public and complained of, quote, the strict taboo in the media of criticizing Jews uh, Jews as a group, using, using, using that term. Uh, and he also told that, another quote, from now on the pages of Russian Insider will be open to articles which fairly and honestly address the influence of Jewish elites, including pointing out when it is malevolent, uh, which is often is, which it often is, yeah, <laughs> I don't know what, where to start here, in addition to that, Bausman managed to find substrata to actually attribute human uh, catastrophe um, and unfolding cataclysm in which millions have died to Jewish pressure groups, uh, well, we've already heard this in the past, right? But so, what struck me most while uh, while I was reading it for the first time, and yes, I had to reread the piece to get my head around it, was this claim: hostility to Putin's Russia is largely a Jewish phenomenon. Uh, so, where did this guy get all this from? Why on earth is anti-Semitism still a thing? Bausman's um, anti-Semitic manifesto of tiny fists did cause some turbulence and it got a fair response including some shaming so I won't uh, bother saying obvious things like he's wrong in pretty much every sentence of his outburst slash call for funds. What I want to talk about instead is uh, the ways in which radical agenda reaches those who are less protected from its teasing pleasures than, for example, I am. And I believe no one in 21st century would argue that anti-Semitism is deeply rooted in radical traditionalism. So let's get back to the roots here. Radical traditionalism is a weapon, and I strongly believe that 
it mainly targets those who haven't identified themselves yet in terms of taking a certain stand on things that require a system to run like and operators flagging for a healthy and happy life uh, like religion, political views, morality, etc. And radical traditionalism is indeed a weapon. It looks at you as if it was a gun, though primed with a mix of venomous bigotry and a healthy dollop of conservative thinking instead of gunpowder. And it gets you the moment you put yourself in a position of in-betweener. It is still and has always been still during the history of mankind, and that's what scares and eventually captivates you most. It's long-busting stillness has nothing to do with rigidness of a fossil. It's well-shaped, polished, always ready, and it's always on the surface, meaning that it takes you literally one surface look to feel its cold breath on your forehead. So no need to dig much, no need to overthink stuff. Whenever you feel uncertain, radical traditionalism is at the door. Whenever you claim moral grounds to be ambiguous, you open the door to radical traditionalism. Whenever you consciously decide to back away from picking sides, you're captured. The ransom will follow if you are lucky, but if not, your family, community and country will get one more radical traditionalist and it will be you. And this may sound a bit far-fetched at first, because indeed, to become a radical traditionalist, one has to be a traditionalist in the first place, right? Well, the sad news is that this is very wrong. Imagine you happen to have a well-grounded political stance or a formed belief system. Imagine you experience a climactic influence coming from powerful forces that have to do with radical traditionalism. What will happen next in that scenario? In 99 cases out of 100, you will survive that attack thankfully to the stand that you've chosen to take in the past. You've t you have picked a certain side and it's serving you now as a wall that you can hide behind and also as a well that you can go to in order to recharge and get a boost for backing your firm principles fiercely, uh, fearlessly and sometimes even audaciously. So now imagine something exact opposite. You failed to craft your political stance. You dismissed the idea of taking care about who you are in a bigger picture. What happens to you then? You have no walls to protect you. You have no well to go to and draw at least some energy to fill your personal think tank that is your mind framework. And eventually you get squashed and sucked in. Game is over. Radical traditionalism steps into a very rich area of prevarication and all intricacies of the world are at its disposal and it uses them just very well. Lies will do too. So Charles Bousman's blatant manifesto fits in the same framework. But despite how predictable it is in terms of cutting a line in for anti-Semitic uh, sentiment, its train of thought is still worrisome because of how obvious its targeting is. The rise of radical traditionalism is real. 
and the fact that it is happening at times when taking stand and having firm convictions is deadly unpopular should be taken uh, as a distress signal. But anyway, I want to tell you a story. Um, a story that has to do with uh, this topic. Uh, and I'm going to tell you a story about the radical land. Have you heard about it? It's all referred to as a red dreadland. So the moment you cross the border and enter red dreadland, is often, it is often an exciting moment. Almost everything around you looks familiar at first and it calms you in a way. It fills you with joy and comfort as if you were looking for an old photograph in the attic and found it exactly where you thought it would be. But as, as you go further, you start to notice that things are going differently in Retreadland. And here is a piece of advice for you right away. Make sure you don't go further enough to lose the border from sight. Once being lost, it's hard to find the way out. So here you are, uh, here you are looking around, and you see that everything in Retreadland is extremely orderly but barely anything has a concrete shape. Everything has a purpose, and even a, a label on it. Everything is in its right place, seemingly. But you really struggle to identify what it is in its essence. It's almost like you became weak-eyed right away, and glasses don't change that. You see people who flail around as if at a rummage sale, and naturally you come closer to say hi. And they are just happy to see you. And the first, the first thing, and the only thing really, that they do is uh, they give you their rules. And you learn that for some reason they think you've come here forever. And they just keep on going telling you about how they live. But really what they do is telling you how you now should live. And the next moment you realize you have just set foot into a very strange land populated with these people whom for the lack of better words uh, words, uh, and for the sake of staying true to um, the poetic mood of this story I will refer to as easily pleased knight errants. So they look like separate units operating on their own but at the same time they can and love actually, to get together in a split second whenever they, uh, there's a glimpse of anything that barely reminds an enemy or a threat. And the way they get together is um, they would form a tribe instead of going for some kind of civilized meetup, gathering or a panel. And it's loud, it's chaotic and it's ready to die ripping apart whatever they might have taken for an enemy just a few moments ago. And then you have um, a very specific issue with uh, an enemy. <coughs> I'm sorry. Uh, with an enemy that they are always just so ready to fight. So these easily pleased knight errants never want to see an actual antagonist, like a person, like a body that happens to possess some mind. The tactics that they prefer to use is that they would see an, uh, any enemy as a character, 
and not a real thing. Even if it is a real thing, and sometimes especially if it is a real thing and a real threat. They won't... Uh, they want to look at it like it is a creature from a book or a fairy tale. They want to deal with it like uh, they are heroes dismissing an evil force that never goes for things like corruption or bribery because that is not miraculous and evil enough. Easily pleased knight errants love to deal with an evil force that cannot be satisfied with anything earthly. It has to be going for an apocalyptic plan that is able to ruin the whole the, the whole world. And th they want to face the devil himself. Even, even if it is not a threat of such scale. And sometimes especially if it's not a threat of such scale. Because what, what's the point of fighting a real deal? What's the point of confronting earthly bad stuff. It won't make them feel and look like heroes. It, it won't make them look and feel like knights. It won't please them. Luckily, when you are okay with turning every real or made-up threat into an ap ap apocalyptic character, you can be pleased quite easily. And at first you can't get your head around these people. Why on earth would one employ such approach, you think? Have you ever felt like you are a hero? Have you ever felt like you have just defeated something evil that could have ruined the whole universe? It is like a drug, this feeling. One fake heroic act and there you go. You have a whole tribe at your disposal that craves for more, can't tell whether a threat is a real thing or not, and is easily pleased with any character that you provide it with. Even if it's one of its own kind. And sometimes especially if it's one of its own kind. Say yes to the tribe and it will be unsparing in, pri in praise. Say no and you will immediately be turned into enemy. Stay away from picking sides and you will be treated as an insect foreign to the tribe's psyche. There is no room for in-betweeners in Retreadland. There is no room for pretty much anything that does not involve either pra uh, praising the tribe or tracking down its enemies. So now it's down to you and your decision-making process. So you look back over your shoulder. Where's, where's the border? There it is. You back up while your new friends keep on going telling you what you should do with your life. And um, by the way, when they find out you are about to leave, that's when they will go after you. So keep that in mind. One doesn't leave Retreadland without being stigmatized as an enemy. I've been there, so I know. True story. Okay, that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this one. Stick around. Be careful. <laughs>